Many of you know that I grew up in Astoria, a small town on the Oregon coast. And every year around this time, I'm especially drawn to the experiences I had around Pesach. Astoria was truly a quaint town. There was one main downtown street, a wonderful little independent bookstore where the owner always knew just what book to recommend to me. There were beautiful views of the Columbia River. There were friendly people and a sprinkling of artists. Now, my Jewish and my spiritual identity was determined not as much by my beliefs and practices growing up in such a small town, but how I saw myself in relation to others and to the world. I know that my experience was quite different than so many people in this community who grew up in Montreal or as part of a larger Jewish community. In my school, I was one of a few Jews. We didn't have a synagogue, and our only Jewish family was a small Havara which gathered together for the major Jewish holidays. And when spring would come, I knew that my favorite holiday, Passover, was on its way. Now, Passover was not a small celebration for our community. In fact, every year we'd rent out one of the local church's social halls, and we'd hold the Passover Seder in that big echoing room. We'd tell the Passover story, we'd sing a few songs, and of course, we'd eat the festive meal. Somehow, during this important moment in the year, our small but tight-knit Jewish group would grow We'd invite guests, we'd invite Jews, non-Jews, spiritual explorers, and according to my recollection, a few church ministers to join us. Yet in part because we had the space, there were always, in the most positive sense of the term, uninvited guests too. At times we had visitors, strangers, and wanderers who would arrive, God forbid, without an RSVP. Often these were quite normal-looking people, but sometimes scraggly men and women, usually quiet, but sometimes a bit disruptive. Yet this was a Seder where the doors were quite literally open, and in a way that I've rarely experienced since, our Jewish story, it was truly shared with all. As we tell the story of the Israelites' escape from slavery and explore the idea of freedom and justice, I remember feeling a strong sense of connection, not only with the story of my people, but also with the very powerful experience of sharing this story with those who are not part of my Jewish community and family. Soon I'd realize that this is what made the holiday so powerful for me. As I grew up and my family moved to the big city, we still made sure to invite guests to our Seder. We were pushed on by that commandment to let all who are hungry come and eat. My parents took this idea very seriously. Each year, new people with new stories and backgrounds would be welcomed into our home, and I learned so much from each of them. Throughout the years, we had friends of friends, neighbors, curious co-workers, Jews and non-Jews, on one occasion that I remember really well, we welcomed an adopted boy who just discovered that his birth parents were Jewish. On another Pesach, we invited a newly arrived Russian family, which only the elderly grandmother had ever been to a Seder before. And I'll never forget when she started to cry when we started singing Dayenu. Every year was a different set of guests and every year a different moment of connection brought on by the process of celebrating and sharing the holiday with others. Passover is on the one hand, it's the most Jewish of holidays. We sit around the table and we're recalling our uniquely Jewish journey. This is, of course, our origin story, the ultimate experience that we shared as a community, and something so important to our individual and collective identity that we're commanded to feel as if we were actually there with the wandering Israelites, through words, through foods, through songs. We hold on to this story and make sure that it's the most meaningful and dynamic experience that we can have. It's our story. But we know that Pesach is also the most universal of holidays too. There's the theme of redemption and freedom, 
of overcoming challenges and strengthening community. And that's something that all people, no matter what their cultural or religious background, can connect with. Now, many of us, especially here in the liberal community, we've taken the universalism one step further, and we bring in the discussions of current events and issues, adding readings and thoughts about modern slavery and oppression into our Seder experience. As I've always felt, we are best fulfilling the purpose of the Seder when we can both powerfully retell our story, the Jewish story of Pesach, and also use it to reflect on and make a difference in a world that is in so much need of the lessons we've learned. It's the ultimate mix of Jewish and universal. In the Mishnah, the first major work of rabbinic literature, which eventually led to the Talmud, we have many discussions of community and ritual, including, as you would expect, sections on the holidays, including Pesach. And actually, over the past few months in our Daf Yomi on Fridays, we've been studying Pesachim, which oddly enough, just ended last week. Now, there's a Mishnah, the first Mishnah of the tractate Shabbat, which we discussed not too long ago in our Daf Yomi class, which I remember learning that I think is especially relevant as we reflect on this question of universalism and particularism during these days, especially since this year, our first Seder is doubly blessed to be on Saturday night on the time right after Shabbat ends. In a way, it helps us answer that question, why even as we tell our Jewish story, we are at the same time commanded to let all who are hungry come and eat. Now, some people believe that the first Mishnah, the first section of a tractate, provides the essence for the rest of the tractate. Now, if this is true, then the first section of tractate Shabbat, it has a very important message for us. Like so much of the Mishnah and Talmud, this text, the text is very technical and it's a pretty confusing one. Essentially, it deals with the transmission of movement or movement of an object from one domain to another, from the public to the private. On Shabbat, we have to be very careful about moving objects from one place to another. And in part, because this act is so technical, it's also very easy to transgress. So here's a bit of the text so you can enjoy the confusion. There are two types of transfers on Shabbat, which amount to four inside and two which amount to four outside. How so? This is illustrated by an Ani, a poor person who's standing outside, and a homeowner, Baal Habait, standing inside. If the poor person reaches his hand inside and puts something into the hand of the homeowner, or takes something from the hand and brings it outside, the poor person is liable, and the homeowner is exempt. If the homeowner reaches his hand outside and puts something into the hand of the poor person or takes something from the hand and brings it inside, the homeowner is liable and the poor person is exempt. Hold on, we're almost done. If the poor person reaches his hand inside and the homeowner takes something from it or puts something into it and the poor person brings it outside, they're both exempt. If the homeowner reaches his hand outside and the poor person takes something from it or puts something into it and the homeowner brings it inside, they are both exempt. Now, don't worry. There's no need to understand the details of this text because looking deeper, this text is not just about Shabbat and Shabbat laws. It's about something much broader. Rabbeinu Ovadia, who lived in the 15th and 16th century in Italy, sees this text as a strong message about what it means to invite people into our homes, to our tables, about what is private, what is ours to hold on to, and what is public and universal. Rabbeinu Ovadia, he asks, why is it when the Mishnah talks about the person standing on the inside, the private domain, it uses the language Baal Habait, a homeowner, and when speaking of the person standing outside in the public domain, it uses the language of Ani, a poor person. 
Why doesn't it simply say one who's standing outside and places a basket in the hand of the one standing inside? Why is it necessary to mention that poor, the person on the outside is poor? Now, essentially what Rabbeinu Avadia is saying is, you might think that giving the poor food which is found in the basket handed by the homeowner to the poor person eat on Shabbat is good enough reason to transgress the prohibition of transmitting objects from one domain to the next. But listen, this is what matters here. The Mishnah, when it uses the phrases poor and homeowner, tells us this is not the case. We need to go one step beyond. And what does this have to do with the private and the universal, or even more with Pesach? Because the Mishnah is telling us that in essence, we are led to a transgression when we create a situation where there is an inside, a private realm, and an outside and an outsider, a person whom we cannot let in. When we create a situation where there are insiders and outsiders in the first place, then we might be led to transgress. To put it simply, this kind of separation is not the best situation to be in. And we should work to make sure that we minimize the times and places where it exists. And here's where the sweet spot of this teaching really comes out. We begin the study of the most detailed of halachic issues in Jewish life, the laws of Shabbat, with a strong message about what it means to invite others into our homes, about the danger of creating the idea of the other, or outsiders, as we celebrate inside in our private spaces. In essence, since you can't pass food from one domain to another, the only way to ensure that a poor person, the outsider, the stranger is fed on Shabbat, is to invite them into your home. And you could argue then that the essence of Shabbat then, the opening text of the Mishnah, is to remind us to do our best to break down the walls of insiders and outsiders. As the mystics would tell us on Shabbat, godliness, that sense of connection and holiness, the mystery of life, is the symbolic Baal Habayit, the owner of this home we call our world, and therefore everyone is invited in. And from Shabbat to Pesach, Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach used to teach you may think you can sit down to your Shabbat table without guests, without poor people, but you really can't. But then maybe there is a Shabbat in which you do. But on the Seder night, it's prohibited to sit down without a poor person sitting at your table. Kol divchin yeteve yechol echoes the Aramaic of the Haggadah. All those in need shall come and eat. So this is not simply a time to invite the poor. But I also take this to mean that we need to open up our tables and our hearts to those who are most different than us. Obviously, this year, we may not be able to invite all of the people we want to our Seder. Yet, symbolically, the value is just as powerful, maybe even more so during this year's pandemic Seders. We need to share a story, our unique Jewish story, and search for its universal power. Teach to others and learn from others. Share our food and share the experience. We know that the spiritual task of opening our hearts to the other is not easy. The well-known 20th century Musar teacher, Rabbi Shlomo Wolbis, explains, We see ourselves in the other, as if every person we encounter is simply a mirror in which we see ourselves. That is to say, we have not yet freed ourselves from the self-centered pers perspective to see that the other is not identified with us. The other is precisely other different from us in essence, and it is incumbent upon us to focus on the way the other differ from us and see that which the other needs, not that which we need. So here we are. The Shabbat before Pesach officially starts tonight. Shabbat Hagadol, the great Shabbat. The traditional Haftarah reads that we read today ends with Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, 
restoring the hearts of parents to children and children to parents and bringing all people and families together in peace. Of course, the next time we encounter Elijah is at our Seder tables tonight when we open the door and welcome him in. But I hope we don't forget what Elijah really symbolizes. When we open that door to Eliyahu Hanavi Elijah, the prophet, the one who it is said will bring us to messianic days, to a truly more perfect and more compassionate and peace-filled world, we have to do our best to open that door to everyone. We will never know if that person, even the stranger most different than us, is the most important piece of God, of godliness. Open that door to Jews, to non-Jews, to Christians, to Muslims, to rich and poor, to those who have been excluded from Jewish life because of the doors that have been closed to them, and all those who are simply searching for open arms and a welcoming home. Now, we can always come up with reasons, with excuses for why we should keep to ourselves during this time, and this year we have some valid ones. But on Passover, it is not up to us to close any doors. We can only open them. On this day, our story, the story of Passover and the Jewish people, is also the story of life itself and the universal search for freedom, tolerance, and compassion outside, inside, us and them. This pandemic, this extremely difficult year, hopefully has taught us that the only way we can survive is by doing all that we can to connect with others and to grow from the experiences of learning from every encounter we have. Don't forget, this is the time when we make our table and we make our community even bigger, even stronger, and even more compassionate. I promise that there is room for us all. Shabbat Shalom.